0: You are listening to the CMC podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Tim Brooks. All right, so we are in our second part in our study on Galatians. So go to Galatians chapter one. We're going to start right where Josh left off. We're going to be in verse 11. We're going to read verses 11 through 24 together lay a little bit of groundwork, and then we'll dive into talking about what I want to share with us in this section of Scripture. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 24, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preached is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days." The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north to the provinces of Syria and Sicilia, and still in the churches of Christ there in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy and they praise God because of me. Now, Paul starts out here kind of laying some groundwork as to what his intentions are, what his motivations are, what has caused him to begin to do what he is doing. And he says here in verse 11, I want you to understand, or I would have you know. He kind of lays it out like that. And if you look at that Greek word, it's nerizo, That that kind of that emphasis there is a strong emphasis that he's making. It's a strong Greek term that, that basically means to make something known with certainty. So if you were to put that in modern language today, it would be like, let me make myself clear. I want to make myself very clear. I want everybody to understand that the gospel that I preach is not human neither in its nature or in its authority. Nobody taught me this. I got this directly by revelation from the Lord. And and obviously, we all know about the encounter that Paul had on the road to Damascus uh, when he encountered Jesus in in Acts chapter 26. And I love that encounter because Paul, you know, one of the things I really love about Paul, my, my mom named me after him. And one of the things that I really love about Paul is Paul never tired of telling his testimony. Anywhere that Paul went, he was going to tell people about his encounter with Jesus and how it changed him. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 26, he's actually before King Agrippa giving his testimony. I mean, the most powerful person in that region, Paul's given his testimony, and he's describing this encounter that he had with Jesus and the transformation that this encounter caused to come about in his life. And King Agrippa even said to Paul, do you think that you're going to convince me to become a Christian in this short amount of time? So Paul was very intent on trying to get anybody and everybody knowing Jesus. But isn't that what happens? See, when you encounter Jesus, you want everybody to know Him. Why? Well, because of the wonderful experience and relationship that you have with Him, you're just compelled. You know, I often think about if, if you like coffee and you have a great cup of coffee somewhere, what do you do? You want to tell people about it. Hey, man, you need to go there and have some coffee. Go to see him coffee shop and get some coffee, some of the best coffee anywhere, right? And I've told people that. I love our coffee here. You know, if you, if you try a good steak at a steakhouse, let's say you're a steak person, and man, you just love the steaks that they serve there at that restaurant, what do you do? You tell everybody, man, you've got to go get some of this steak, get some of the best steak. Make sure you get that dessert. That, man, that dessert is so good. It's just delicious. But that's what we do. When we taste of something and we experience it and it is something that's amazing, the first thing we want to do is what? Share it. We want other people to experience. So Paul is telling people about his encounter with Jesus. Now, Paul had proclaimed a gospel that originally, when he was Saul, he proclaimed a gospel that was according to man. And it would have been, you know, permeated by all of the things that he was typically doing, works of righteousness, because that's what religion is about. Religion will always have in it works of righteousness. The fact is, Paul proclaimed a gospel that had nothing to do with works of righteousness. And the religious people of the day, and Josh talked a lot about this in our first session, the Judaizers, the religious leaders of the day, even the Pharisees and and the Sadducees, they took issue with what Paul was preaching because they were based in a religion of works. You had to follow the law, you had to follow all of the dietary rules, you had to wash, you had to eat certain types of food, you had to pray at certain times of the day. All of these rules and regulations. Paul didn't preach any of this. And because of that, and we have to see this, man's sinful pride is offended by the idea that only God's mercy and grace can take care of our sin. And that's why religious people get offended when you start saying, no, it doesn't have anything to do with how good you are or how much you go to church or how much you pray or how many organizations that you give to. See, religion insists on having a part to play in salvation. Now, I want to bring this a little more personal your flesh will insist that some types of good works have to play a part in you being accepted by God. You're going to have to be good enough, often enough, consistently enough, or you're not going to be right before God. That's what our flesh and that's what the enemy will try to have us think. So many of the religious leaders, just like many of the religious leaders today, look to human interpretations of Scripture as their religious authority and guide. Now don't get me wrong, Scripture, especially the Torah or the law, were ritually given the highest honor among the Judaizers, the Jewish people. The the, the Torah was given the highest honor and rightfully so it should have. But the religious ideas they took seriously most often were man-made traditions that they had accumulated over time. And many of these traditions not only were, taught, were not taught in Scripture, they actually contradicted Scripture. And Jesus, when he came and he encountered the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he would often call them out on traditions that they taught that did not line up with what the Bible or what Scripture said. As a matter of fact, let me give you an example. Jesus rebuked him in Matthew chapter 15 verse 6. He says, in this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents, and so you cancel the Word of God for the sake of your own tradition. Now, we got to pay close attention to how we live our life. You know, that. For me, that's something that's very important. I want to pay close attention to how I I live my life. And I think we all need to pay close attention to how we live our life. Is it according to Scripture? Or is it according to our church's tradition? You know, maybe you're new here. At Christian Ministries Church. Maybe you haven't been attending here very long. Maybe you've just been here a few Sundays or maybe a few months and maybe you have come from a different background of belief system. Maybe you even come from a different denomination. And in your denomination, you grew up and you guys sang from hymnals or you did the tithing offering this way or maybe the church that you came from, your emphasis was more on evangelism and, and clothing and feeding the hungry and it wasn't a focus on teaching and discipleship training like we are in our ministry. And so we all come from different backgrounds, but we have to pay close attention. Is what we're believing lining up with Scripture Or does it contradict Scripture and it just lines up with our church's long-kept traditions? You know, I remember when I was, the Holy Spirit was starting to move in my life. I I, I still was lost, and I wasn't going to church or anything yet. I hadn't, hadn't, you know, had that radical transformation yet. But I had conviction beginning to happen in my life. And I was a drug dealer in my town, and me and another guy, we were actually both drug dealers in our town, and he had some relatives that went to a church, a grandmother or somebody, and he said, man, you know, we ought to go to church. For whatever reason, we were feeling bad, I don't know, maybe we we probably stole something, or I don't know, and we felt like we needed to do some penance and go to church, So we we showed up at the church building, and I'll never forget pulling up in the parking lot and coming up to the the double doors at this little old-timey church, and there was a a little lady sitting on a stool there, and she had a pair of scissors and a towel in her hand. And I don't know what she was doing or what that was about, but as soon as we got to the door, she said, you're going to have to have your hair cut off your collar before you come in here. And I gave her a certain finger, and turned around and walked off and went to my car. Traditions. Where is that anywhere talked about in Scripture? Other than traditions. See, there are traditions in all cultures, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's an eternal principle that's going to go across all generations. That's just traditions, like hair coverings and And, you know, women having long hair, not having short hair, those are all traditional things and cultural things that were expressed there. So how you approach salvation, how you approach the function of the church, your personal life, even how you react to people outside the walls of the church should be guided by Scripture, not long-standing traditions of your church, unless those long-standing traditions line up with, help me, the Word. If they line up with the Word, then okay, great, they line up. All right, let's move on. Verse 13 through 24. I really like this section because Paul talks a lot about his former life and this radical encounter that he had with Jesus on the road to Damascus and and how that changed him. He talked about how he was persecuting Jesus. Christians. And, you know, before we get into some of this, I want to point out this glaring truth. In the Bible, and and really anywhere you read in Scripture, when people encountered Jesus and followed Him, and this is 100% of the time, their lives were radically changed. Every time. Every single time. If they encountered Jesus, not religion, not church, if they encountered the person of Jesus Christ, their lives were radically changed. So, I just have this equation. Jesus plus encounter equals transformation. It's going to happen in your life. So, in the Bible, when people encountered Jesus, they were changed. The Apostle Paul was once Saul. He persecuted the church. He had an encounter with Jesus And Paul's life took a 180. I mean, literally, he was going this direction, and then his life completely changed, and Paul was going a totally different direction than what he was doing. I I remember when I encountered Jesus, it was in 1988. I was lying in my bed on an August night. It was hot, I was high, I was on Coke. I was on X, I was on alcohol, I was on pot. I was just lying in my bed as high as I could be. I remember it was about 11 o'clock at night and I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit in my bed. And I'm telling you, I didn't go to church, I didn't go to camp, I didn't have somebody to lay hands on me, nobody anointed me with oil, but right there in my bed in that moment, my heart and my life radically changed. I had an encounter. I, I mean, I absolutely had an encounter. And I was never the same. Now, I'm not saying that I never sinned again because I'm not Jesus. He's the only one that doesn't sin. But what I am saying is, in that encounter, Jesus, he came inside of me, literally. He came inside my heart. My mind was, it it became, the, the mind of Christ became my mind. The thoughts that Jesus thought, all of a sudden I found myself thinking. The heartbeat that Jesus had for people, all of a sudden I found my heart was having that same beat for people. I just wanted to hug people and I didn't know why. I wanted to be nice to people, I didn't know why. I cried all the time and I didn't know why. And, and Because I had this radical transformation that was taking place in my life. And the Apostle Paul had this exact same thing happen to him. When you encounter Jesus, you are Different. Can I have an amen? And if your encounter with Jesus did not produce a radical transformation in your life, you need to seriously, seriously consider that encounter. Maybe it wasn't Jesus, maybe it was just religion. Because there's a lot of that out there. And, I, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not against doctrine. I'm not against truth. All of that is vital and it's very important. That's why we're having these Bible studies and we're studying the scripture. But many good godly Jewish people lived in Paul's day. They were even devout in their religion. They weren't bad people. But it's not until you have an encounter with Jesus that your heart and your mind is radically transformed and changed. They didn't have an encounter with Jesus, they just had an encounter with religion. And that's why works and trying to be good and trying to earn God's favor and trying to get everybody else to walk this line of legalism was what compelled them to do. See, you, you can know immediately when you meet someone, a religious person, whether they encountered Jesus or whether they encountered religion. You can tell it by their expressions, you can, you can tell it by their conversations, you can tell it by how they, they want to hug on you and they want to love on you and they want to pray for you and they want to bless you. Why? Because that's what God did for them. That's what Jesus did for them in their encounter. But if you meet somebody that encounter religion, they're gonna put l- rules on you. They're gonna say, you gotta do this and you gotta do that, and you gotta pray this much, and you've got to give this much, and you've got to go here, and you've got to make sure that you follow all these rules. See, an encounter with Jesus, it's, it's so life-changing, and it's so wonderful. It's like I said from the very beginning, you just can't tell, help telling people about it. You just want to share it with everybody that you encounter, and you want to get as many people involved in it as you possibly can. The truth is, an encounter with the real Jesus, it just gets better and better and better over time. It just gets better and better and better. I mean, it's, just, it's like fine wine. It just gets better and better and better. Y'all have heard that term, fine wine. It just, as it ages, it gets better. It's just like a marriage relationship. My relationship with my wife is so much better, so much deeper than it was when we first met. She's still just as cute to me now as she was then, but I know her so much better now because of my time that I have invested in relationship with her. And see, the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. I want to look at Paul's life before his encounter with Christ. Because there's some real patterns that can be seen here. In Paul's conversion, or in Paul's pre-conversion life, he was a very religious person. He wasn't a bad man. He, as a matter of fact, he was zealous to do the right thing. Paul went to church. Paul prayed. Paul tithed. Paul had been a Jew of the first order. As a matter of fact, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, here's what he said. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as far as righteousness, listen to this, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, I don't know anybody that can hardly say that. I obeyed the law without fault. There were over 600 laws that had to be obeyed. And Paul said, I obeyed them all without fault. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with doing good works and pleasing God. We all want to do good works, and we all want to please God. We should all strive to live godly and to do right. That should be a goal for every one of us. But what we have to be careful of is the deception of our enemy who will try to convince us, and and here's what I want to make sure that we see. He'll try to convince us that our righteousness and others' righteousness is directly associated with how they act and what they do. And we have to be aware of this dangerous snare because it's a two-headed serpent. On one side, being a self-righteous person, a person who thinks that they're made right with God by following a bunch of rules, it'll make you prideful. It'll puff you up in pride. It'll have you, um, you know, patting yourself on the back for all the good things that you have done, you'll, it'll have yourself saying, well, I, I go to church. I serve my church. I, I pay my tithe. I, I pray. I give to those in need. Just like the religious Pharisee. Y'all remember this story in, in the parables that Jesus was talking about the religious Pharisee who was praying one day. And he, was, he, he, he wasn't really praying to God. He was, he was praying to himself about how awesome he was. And, you know, he, he was just, you know, saying, man, I do all these good works. And, you know, I, I, I pray and, and I give and I tithe and I do all these great things. While looking down his nose at the tax collector that the scripture says was right beside him. And it says the tax collector was even unwilling to lift his head and look up to heaven. He was just beating his chest and pleading with God to have mercy on him. And Jesus said the one that was right in God's eyes, believe it or not, wasn't the Pharisee who was following all the rules. Now, in a human perspective, if we looked at both of those people, honestly, we would all have to say, we would say that the Pharisee was the right guy and the tax collector is the wrong guy. And that's hard. That's hard to process. How could God possibly say, That this tax collector over here, who is living a very ungodly life, is seen right in God's eyes. And this Pharisee over here, who is trying to do everything right, is not. Well, it's because of the heart. And that's what God is looking at. It's because this guy was saying that his righteousness is something that he has accomplished by his own merit Instead of saying, God, there's nothing good in me at all. The only thing good in me is you. And so I put all of my eggs in the basket of you, Jesus, and I trust totally in you that you're going to justify me and make me right before God on the day of judgment. Not anything that I've done or anything that I have not done. See, the question is, when, when we look at pride, okay, if I'm going to put my accomplishments on display in front of people, then I'm going ha- to influence other people to feel like, well, I'm going to have to do that too if I'm going to be as good as they are. And so the other side of that head of that serpent is condemnation because this is where the enemy comes in and he begins to condemn Because how many good works must we do to be considered right according to God's standard of righteousness? In other words, how how many Sundays out of the month or out of the year do you have to go to church to be right in God's eyes? How much above and beyond your tithe, because the Bible says bring your tithe and your offering when you come, Okay, how much above my tithe do I need to offer the Lord for me to be right in God's eyes? How many days of the week and how many minutes of the day do I have to pray to be considered righteous enough to be accepted by God? Y'all hear what I'm saying? See, we're trying to meet a quota. We all identify with verses 15 and 16. Look there at those. He says, but even before I was born, God chose me And called me, listen to this, by his what? Marvelous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about what? Jesus to the Gentiles. Not following a bunch of rules like the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Judaizers were trying to get people to do. No, but I would tell people about Jesus. See, when Saul encountered Jesus, the, the reality of the gospel was revealed to him. And, and I, want, I want to make sure that, that those that are listening by live stream and those that are here with us in the building, when Jesus appears to you, the reality of the gospel comes alive in you. It, 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 it's like fireworks. It's like an explosion happening in your life. The reality of Jesus is all in all. He's it. There's nothing that I can add to what Jesus did. There's nothing that you can take away from what Jesus did. He is the answer. Can I have an amen? Saul was like a runaway freight train. He crushed everything in his path when he was a Pharisee and persecuting the church. He, he lost control of his life. His life was without constraint. His legalistic zeal had put him on a course of destruction, and God in His grace rescued him. And, and we were all the same as Saul. Maybe we weren't religious zealots going around persecuting Christians. Maybe our lives were just on a path of destruction because of the lawlessness that we had in our hearts. The direction that we were going that was taking us down a path of destruction in our own flesh. And it's only a supernatural encounter that could have changed the course of Saul's life. There wasn't a person in the world outside of Jesus that could have persuaded Saul to be any different than what he was. Because Saul was at the top of the ladder, He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was educated, I mean, more than probably anybody in his day. He knew the Torah better than anyone. There was no one that was going to capture his heart and change his life except Jesus. And that is why God sent Jesus to appear to Saul on the road to Damascus, In that encounter changed his life completely. I'm sure many of us in here have tried a lot of different ways before we encountered Jesus to turn our life around. I can't tell you the number of times that I tried to, you know, stop lying to people, stop lying to my friends. I mean, I just lied just to lie. I, ca- I can't tell you the number of times that I tried to quit stealing or the number of times that I would have conversations with myself about, you know, cutting back on the amount of drugs that I was doing or the amount of alcohol that I was drinking. I tried. I I put forth the effort. I I, I gave it my best attempt. But it wasn't until my encounter with Jesus that my life changed. And if you get anything out of what I'm talking about tonight, I want you to walk away with— The most important thing in your life is having an encounter with Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important. Verse 15 and 16 says, it pleased God to reveal his son to me. And it's important for us to recognize the difference in God's way of changing a person and man's way of trying to change a person. And I think it's very important that we see this. Man, when he introduced Saul to God, he did it by introducing him to the law, introducing him to legalism, and introducing him to religion. That was the way that man tried to connect Saul with God. Study all these scriptures, learn all these rules, Go to the synagogue, learn to follow all the dietary things, make sure that you're washing your hands, stay away from unclean people, all of these religious rules. That's how man introduces people to God, or that's how religious man introduces people to God. But God, when he introduced Saul to himself, he did so by introducing him to Jesus. And God's goal in our life is to lead us to Jesus, not to lead us to a bunch of rules. Because the fact of the matter is, listen, when you have an encounter with Jesus, that encounter, it's so transformational and it changes you. You don't need rules. They're in your heart. You just want to do the right thing. And you guys have heard me say this many times before, but, you know, before I came to know Christ, I wanted to do wrong. I enjoyed doing wrong. It was fun to me to live in sin and to do wrong. I wanted to get as many people involved in doing wrong with me as possible. That's called a party or a club, right? And I wanted to get as many people with me doing that. But but when I encountered Jesus, Because I had already, trust me, I had encountered religion. I had encountered church. I had been to those things. I got drugged to some of those things. But I hadn't encountered Jesus. So when I encountered Jesus, all of the sudden, none of that really mattered to me anymore. And on the inside, I changed. And now it's not like some outside force trying to make me conform to do what is right. Now I'm just compelled from the inside. I want to please God. And whatever that looks like, that's what I want to do. See, there's no need for God to introduce us first to religion. And I want to encourage all of us, you know, there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church. You should. I think that's great. And what you need to pray is, when you invite them to church, pray, Jesus, let them encounter you like I did. Let them experience you as worship is going forth like I did. Let them experience you while the Word is going forth like I did. Let them have an encounter with someone in church that is full of your Son and let them have the same radical transformation in their life that I had in my life. See, all he needs to do is introduce us to his beautiful son. And in that encounter, transformation will begin to occur, and we will become more and more like Jesus every day. And as we walk with him, and we talk with him, It's just like with anybody. Whoever you spend the most time with and hang out with, it's crazy. You start taking on their mannerisms, and you start saying things that they say, and you tend to start liking things that they like, and you might even start dressing kind of how they dress or liking certain things that they pick out to wear. I mean, that's just the way it works, and it's the same with Jesus. As we are connected with him and we spend time with him, all of a sudden we just start acting more like him. We start liking the things he likes. We start disliking the things that he dislikes. We start yearning for the things that he yearns for. And we, we just get, are repelled by things we know that, that he would not be interested in doing. See, it's all about God's wonderful grace. And it's all about that transformational experience, experiencing life and freedom in God's Son. And for all of the members of Christian Ministries and those that are listening on live stream, our goal at Christian Ministries is to lead you into experiencing Jesus. Because if you can experience Jesus, then you will encounter joy. You will encounter freedom. You will encounter chains breaking off of your life. And each and every year as you walk with him, you're going to be walking in more and more anointing, more and more wisdom, more and more power, more and more authority over demonic powers in your life that it may have had you bound. You'll walk into more and more freedom as you encounter Jesus. Now, the other life is a miserable life of emptiness. And it causes people to fall away. They get very discouraged. They feel condemned. They feel unworthy. They just get absolutely worn out by religion. They get turned off because religion is an empty promise. And, I, you know, I don't know how you were raised, what type of upbringing you had, what denomination you may have grown up in. Maybe you grew up in a very legalistic home. Maybe you grew up in a, in a legalistic church. Maybe you've, you've had a bad taste. Maybe even you are listening to, to this podcast, and, and you're not even in church. Or maybe you just happen across this, this live stream or this YouTube video, and, and you're watching it, and, and you know, you just had a really bad brush with religion. Here's what I want to encourage you in find Jesus. Find Jesus. If you find Jesus, I promise you, I promise you that your search will end because you will find the real thing. And see, when you find the real thing, no imitation will ever, ever satisfy you again. See, if, if the drugs and the alcohol or if Maybe even in some of my pursuits when I was reading some other works and some other religions before I got saved, just because I was searching and and trying to find something with meaning. In all of that, had that been able to fulfill me and satisfy me, that would be what I would still be doing. Because, you know, obviously, I really kind of see salvation as a selfish thing. I want to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from being miserable. Save from being unhappy. You know, and, and the fact of the matter is, we may act like we're fine in front of our friends, but when we lay our head down on our pillow at night and we're all by ourselves and we're staring up at the ceiling, that's when it all comes crashing in. That's when it becomes real. Man, I, I need something different in my life. I'm not complete. Something's missing. Something's missing. And you may be listening right now. You may be sitting in your seat right now and you say, Paul, you're talking to me. Something's missing. It's missing. Well, that missing piece is Jesus. It's not more religion. It's not trying to follow all the rules. No, no, no. My prayer for you is that you encounter Jesus the same way that Saul of Tarsus encountered Jesus. Saul became Paul, and he was standing before King Agrippa, and he was giving his testimony. And he said, at midday, O king, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me and those traveling with me. <clears throat> and we heard a voice from heaven. And it said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to resist my will. And I said, who art thou, Lord? He said, it is I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he said, now rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for a purpose. A purpose. God appeared to all of us for a purpose. What is that purpose? That purpose is to know His Son. And in having that encounter that we will proclaim, just like Paul did to everybody around us, we will proclaim the life-saving transformational encounter that we had, we'll share that with them so that they can have it too. My encouragement to you tonight, take your focus off of trying to be good enough and set your focus on the only one that is good enough. That is Jesus Christ, amen? Amen, stand with me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you tonight for each person, whether they're driving down the car down the road in their car, whether they're watching this video on YouTube, whether they're listening by the live stream or here in this auditorium right now as I'm speaking. God, I pray that every person within the sound of my voice, that is searching, that something is missing. There's a void in their life. Jesus, I pray that they encounter you. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you begin to draw them to God's Son. And I pray that they will have a real life transformation encounter with Jesus. That's what we're all needing in our life every day. Encounters with you, Jesus, every day. In the morning, at lunch, at night when we lay our head down. May we encounter you, Jesus. And in that encounter, we are transformed. We are healed. We are set free. We are made new. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you Sunday. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.